Our reading from the Bible is from Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3. We'll read the chapter together. I particularly want to look uh, with you this morning and again, God willing, this evening at what Paul says about the way he prays and the way he encourages us to pray in verses 14 to 18. But we'll read the chapter together where the Apostle Paul speaks of a mystery, something that was hidden, but is now being revealed in Jesus Christ, how that the gospel goes out to all the nations and to Jew and Gentile together now in faith in Jesus Christ are made one body. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The grass with us and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. We've read in Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15 that the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. I wonder what your experience of prayer is. I wonder if you've ever attended a church prayer meeting. Is prayer a burden or a delight, a struggle or a reflex, 
a source of strength or a distraction? Is prayer important or is it somewhere at the edges of your life? Is prayer your first response when there are trials and temptations, as we've just sung? Or is it the last resort? Some people say they're too busy to pray. Well, the Bible says if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. And Paul is, in the verses we're going to look at this morning, leading us to something very important when it comes to this issue of prayer. Who do you pray to? Because your view of God will have a profound impact on your prayers. The question of who God is, who do we pray to? It's at the front of the Apostle Paul's mind as he starts to tell the Ephesians about his own prayers. As he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now this isn't the first time in this letter that Paul has spoken about prayer. In chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, he's given us already insights on how to pray. We learn that prayer begins with praise. It involves humility and thanksgiving. Prayer involves asking God for answers as an expression of our dependence on him. And prayer is something we need to persevere, to keep going with. And in chapter 3, Paul began to say in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And it's as if Paul was going to say something about prayer, but before doing so, he embarked upon a discussion about why he was a prisoner. And you'll notice what he says, which is very striking, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I wonder if someone in Ephesus thought, I thought Paul was a prisoner of the Roman Emperor. I thought Paul was a prisoner of Rome. Why does he say a prisoner of Christ Jesus? And I think what he's emphasizing is God's sovereignty over all of his life. Yes, he's been arrested under Roman jurisdiction, but behind and above and ultimately beyond all of that, there is a God who is overseeing and in charge of every part of his life. So even in prison, there is someone more important to Paul than the Roman emperor, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He wants them to understand the sovereignty and the glorious grace of God. And in this letter, he wants particularly Gentile believers to understand the grace of God at work towards them in and through Christ Jesus. I mentioned to the boys and girls that uh, I live in an area where about 30-40% of the people living around are uh, Jewish people. And in the church, as we meet on a Sunday in the church congregation in, in Kensit, there are some Jewish people who have now have come to trust in Jesus Christ as Messiah and Saviour. But when Paul writes this letter, he wants Gentile believers to understand that they are no longer strangers, aliens, foreigners, but they've been brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ and are now made one body, 
one family of God. People of whatever nationality, whatever background. In the church in London, we have about 27 different nationalities in the congregation. People from all over the world. But I can say to them all, I can say to all of you and anyone who's listening online this morning, whatever your nationality, whatever your background, there is good news in Jesus Christ for every person, for every nationality, for people of whatever their background. The grace revealed through Jesus Christ, those who were not Jewish people, who had been thought of as aliens and strangers, but through faith in Jesus Christ, and now he says, fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So the glorious grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because Paul has wanted them to know the mystery revealed. God's glorious purposes, that God reveals himself everywhere and at all times and in every place as the creator, the heavens declare the glory of God. But God reveals himself particularly and especially in his son, Jesus Christ, as the saviour from sin. And Paul is aware that Jesus Christ had radically intervened in his life. We're all spiritually dead, he's written, in trespasses and sins. We need God's intervention, God's grace in our lives. Paul reminds us of what his life was like outside of Jesus Christ. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, says Paul, Philippians chapter 3. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul is pointing out he was a very religious person. He attended every religious observance and went above and beyond all that was expected of him. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, utterly self-confident with regards to his righteous standing. But that self-confidence, that self-righteousness is corrosive to the soul. Ultimately, Paul's pursuit of self-righteousness led him to persecute the church imprison and even oversee the execution of Christians. God intervened in his life, broke that stranglehold of religious delusion. Has God intervened in your life? You say, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was without God, without hope, without Christ, but now I've been found by the grace of God, trusting this morning in Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Saviour. Paul was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord as he was travelling to Damascus and the resurrected Jesus Christ confronted him and he met with the glorious Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Paul experienced God's salvation. Have you experienced God's salvation? That mystery of Christ which was hidden beforehand, says Paul, to many nations has now been revealed to all. So I can say there is good news for you this morning in Jesus Christ, the Saviour, if you will but trust in him. And Paul is aware then that he's a steward of grace. The grace that's been revealed to him in and through Jesus Christ means that now Paul wants to witness to and share and tell others about that grace of God as well. 
And Paul understands that the believers in Ephesus and you and me this morning are under that dynamic as well. You have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, he says. If you've known grace at work in your life, then you want to make others know that there is a saviour for them. In a way, we can divide all the ways that people live into two basic categories. Those who believe in the grace of God, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not because we earn it or deserve it or can buy it, but by God's free grace. And all the other religions of the world that say to you, do, 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 do this, do that, do the other, God might accept you. But Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary said, done, it's accomplished. Salvation is free to all who trust, to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. So for this reason, says Paul, because of the grace of God at work in his life, Paul records all that God has done in him. Now Paul begins to talk about prayer. And I want to interrogate this text this morning by asking a few questions. And the first question is, why? Why does Paul pray? What Paul has said about God has already had a deep impact on those who read this letter. Paul has spoken about the multidimensional grace of God and the wisdom of God. Paul realizes that the gospel exhorts him and encourages him to pray to the God whose grace is wonderful and whose power is almighty and his wisdom is vast. What has Paul said about God in this letter? Well, he said, there's a time when Jesus Christ has come into the world and the mystery of God's plan to bless the whole world through the gospel has now been revealed. One of the striking things about London is that you meet people from all over the world. A young man turned up in church a couple of months ago and he said he was from Sao Tome. Anyone heard of Sao Tome? Yes. Oh, well done. Off the west coast of Africa, there's a little island of Portuguese speakers, Sao Tome. And he could speak Portuguese and English. He's married a wife who can speak Romanian and English. But they speak to each other in English. So they needed an English-speaking church. And there he was, he turned up. And how did he come to know something of the grace of God at work in his life, because during the COVID time, he said to his wife, perhaps we've been given this time when we're not doing the normal patterns of life to read the Bible. It'd be a good thing to read the Bible at least once in our lives. Let's start reading the Bible. And he started reading the Bible, and the grace of God hit him. And he became a Christian. So whatever the country, whatever the nation, little Sao Tome, that little island off the west coast of Africa, God is building his kingdom and people from all the nationalities of the world. And knowing that, we want to ask God, don't we? We want to pray that God would make that wisdom and his grace known to more and more people here in Gosainen and in Swansea and all over the world. And Paul is aware of that in his personal dimension. He's thankful that salvation is by grace, not by his works. 
even faith, the gift of God. And that there is a social dimension to it. The gospel has brought about an equality between believers in Christ, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. The gospel brings reconciliation and peace. That's true in our own lives. And there's an international dimension to it. Even the gospel goes out into all the world. One of the things you do when you pray in the prayer meeting here, I'm sure, is pray for those who are working, spreading the gospel all over the world. Last Thursday we were hearing about the work of God in, in Ghana. You can even get an interview now on Zoom. You speak to someone in Ghana who's working away there as a missionary and hear updates about the work. There's an international dimension to the gospel. Thank God that the gospel goes out into all the nations. There's even, says Paul, a cosmic dimension. Jesus Christ seated now in the heavenly places above all principalities and powers. Even earthly powers are under Christ's lordship. Which is why Paul can say that he's a prisoner, not of the Roman emperor. There's someone beyond the Roman emperor, king of kings, lord of lords. He's under Christ's lordship. So that's why Paul prays. He's experienced the grace of God. If you've experienced the grace of God, you can pray and you can call God Father. And that's the second thing that we're thinking about. Why does God pray? He's experienced the grace of God. To whom does Paul pray? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the Father who defines all fatherhood, says Paul. And it's quite striking the way he puts it. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, he has said, through Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We can come to God with confidence and call him Abba, Father. Abba is like the family name for a father. We're the dearly loved children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, adopted into God's family. We have great reasons to pray, and we can come to God and call him our Father, says Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We have great reasons to pray, says Paul, and we can pray to God as our Father. The family is a basic structure in the Bible for society. And the order here matters where Paul says, God is Father. And it's from our understanding of God as Father that we can see and understand something about what it means to be a father in this world. You see, if we start thinking about God as Father by thinking first about our earthly fathers, then there may be problems. Some may not have had the best fathers. Some fathers didn't show their children who God is and what God is like. We're living in a society where there are many who have absent fathers. But even if our fathers were great fathers, and our families were relatively intact. 
We don't start with the earthly father and then think about God. No, says Paul, earthly fathers are important, earthly families are important. But it's God's fatherhood that is perfect. We start with God. Which is why when Jesus is asked by the disciples, teach us to pray, Jesus says to them, in this manner therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's a coming together of intimacy, Abba, Father, and awe. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's the God of the universe. He's holy, and yet he's our Father. Now that link was probably stronger in Paul's day than it is in our day. We are living at a time when the role of Father has been somewhat eroded. But Paul says, when you think of Father, start with God. You notice what he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of how God the Father loves his Son. You can approach God as Father through faith in Jesus Christ, secure in his love for you. You can approach him as the Father who is patient and kind and willing to forgive. You can go to God as your Father and ask him for anything. To grow in holiness to know his will, to be generous for wisdom when we don't know what's best for us. And God sometimes answers our prayers with a yes, and sometimes he answers our prayers with no, and sometimes he answers our prayers with wait. But we can be sure God is acting as Father, and he is faithful. Look at how he relates to his Son, Jesus Christ, Paul is saying. Look at the way Jesus Christ as our Savior means we can come to God. It's a great comfort. What a privilege to carry. We sang everything to God in prayer because we can come to God as Father. We can know His grace and forgiveness and patience and kindness then. God's love, His generosity, His wisdom. And the more we understand that God is our Father and we can come to Him, the more we understand who God is, what God is like. And that helps us to understand what human families should function, what way they should function. Let's start with God. Let's get to know God as Father. And then, from God, understand something about what it means to be a father in this world. And knowing God as Father has a profound effect, then, on our prayers. The more Christians see that God is their Father, the more Christians will see what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. So if you're a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, if God is your heavenly father, if he's adopted you into his family as his child, you've been made a joint heir of grace with Jesus Christ, don't take the privilege lightly that God calls you to come to him as your father and he calls you his child. So why does Paul pray? He's experienced the grace of God. To whom does Paul pray? He prays to Father, his father. Thirdly, how does Paul pray? Right there in the middle of verse 14, I bow my knees, says Paul. Now I wonder if you've ever thought, why is, does Paul tell us, I bow my knees? Why is that important? It's important because what was the usual posture of a Jew praying? How did the Jews normally pray? They would normally pray, standing. 
You have the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector. When Jesus tells that story, they're in the temple praying. One is standing to pray a very self-righteous prayer. We can hardly call it a prayer. He's full of himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. It's the prayer of a proud unbeliever. I, 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 I. I, full of myself. But there's another man standing who prays a gritty prayer of repentance. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I wonder if you've ever prayed a prayer like that. But how were they praying? They were standing in the temple to pray. That's the normal way a Jewish believer prayed. In the Old Testament, when Moses was praying for Israel as they fought against the Amalekites, how did he pray? He prayed standing with his arms raised and with the rod of God in his hand. If you go on to Scotland on holiday and you go to a Scottish Presbyterian church on a Sunday, if you hear the minister say, let us pray, what will happen? Everyone will stand. That's the way our Scottish friends pray in their services. They sit to sing and they stand to pray. Now, we also see in the Bible there are times of great earnestness in prayer when people are bowing the knee, even prostrate on the ground before God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we read he was prostrate on the ground, lying on the ground. But here the Apostle Paul is saying that as he comes to his father, he bows the knee. He's aware of his dependence on God. He's a prayer that's urgent. And so he bows to a sovereign God. I think it's important for us to think about that this morning because we live in a time when in our society the creature is thought of as big and God, the creator, is thought of as small. We are big, God is small. That's the way society thinks. But in the Bible and in the way the Apostle Paul thinks, we are small and God is big. So Paul bows the knee before God the Father. Yes, he's Father, he's the Heavenly Father, but he reverences him. He casts himself in dependence upon God. Prayer is important for the Apostle Paul because he's coming as a creature to the Creator and he's coming as a sinner, though a saved sinner, but he's coming as a sinner to the holy God. So how does Paul pray? I bow my knees, says Paul. Last question, what encourages Paul to pray? Paul says that the Father would grant you according to the riches of his glory. The abundant, glorious riches of God. God, through the Apostle Paul, wants us to fix something in our minds this morning. That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So coming to God in prayer is never a matter of asking him if he's able to do something. If he has the power to do something. If he has the might to do something. If he has the strength to do something. Paul wants us to understand God's power is almighty. 
It's a question of God's will. Our dependence upon him. But it's not that God doesn't have the power. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is the great model for Christian prayer. It's not a question of God's power. It's a question of God's will. So when our prayers are answered, wait. Or no. Or by seeming silence. It's, that, it's not that God doesn't have the power. No, it's a matter of God's will, God's purpose. Jesus Christ never sinned. And yet in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. What was the answer from heaven? The answer from heaven was, no. And by that no, and by Jesus taking the cup, the cup of God's wrath, God's anger against sin, a multitude of men and women and boys and girls from all over the world of every nationality will rejoice and give praise to Jesus Christ for all eternity. Because he took the, the cup of God's damnation and drank it to its bitterest dregs. He drank damnation dry. That we might know God's forgiveness, God's cleansing, God's welcome, God's smile. But Paul wants us to understand, it's not that God doesn't have the power. And it's not that we come to God to manipulate him. No, it's to align ourselves with his will. But God is almighty. God has the power. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, says Paul. Paul is going to ask God to do astounding things, that he'll fill the believers in Ephesus and fill the believers here in Bethel Chapel this morning with such supernatural power that they may experience something of what he describes if we can hardly Believe it if we, unless it was in the Bible, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, says Paul. How can Paul pray a prayer like that? And where do we find the confidence then and hope that God does still bring salvation to lost men and women and can transform a community like this area here in Gosainen? But Paul is answering it by saying our confidence must be in God who is able because he's all-powerful. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And Paul's point is that God is not even constrained by our imagination. Above all that we can ask or even think. Here's the God who cares for his people. Here's the God who invites us to call him Father, who is the God who is mighty to save, and who can do more than we can possibly even imagine. And Paul says that should drive us to pray. That can also embolden us and give us confidence to pray. That as you pray for your family, as you pray for your neighbours and colleagues and friends, as you pray for Gosaina and Lacher and Pentliger and the areas round about, Garden Village, and as we pray for our broken world, we can pray for God's glory to be seen in the church through Jesus Christ because he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think by his mighty power. So Paul prays as one who's received grace. 
Paul bows his knee because he's aware he's coming to the God. He's dependent upon this God. But he has no doubt about the power of God. God is the almighty sovereign God. And yes, as we come to him this morning, if you're a believer, you can come to him as your father. But as you come, let's remind ourselves of the greatness of the power of God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. So let's pray together now. Let's all pray. Lord, our Father in heaven, we rejoice to come to you this morning as our Father. What a privilege this is. We who once were far off, lost and in despair, have been brought to know in Jesus Christ forgiveness, grace and peace. We can come to you as our Father. We bow the knee as it were and we come into your holy presence. And we are coming to a king so we can bring large petitions with us for your grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. You're able to do it exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or even think. So fill us with faith and hope and expectancy as we look to Jesus Christ this morning as the author and finisher of our faith. We bless you that we can come to our Father through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. So hear us as we come in Jesus' name. Amen.